Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Shame for Anthony Gordon that he wasn't allowed to celebrate properly. Goal, Everton. Well, now he can celebrate. McNeil. Nice skill. Dwight McNeil could go all the way. He tees up Iwobi now, and it's back to McNeil. And it's a beautiful, beautiful Everton goal. Hello, Evertonians, and welcome once again to the Toffee Web Podcast, where we've taken time out from re-watching the goals from Saturday to get together to discuss what was a fine victory over Crystal Palace. Everton put to an end a three-game losing streak and got back to winning ways by putting three past Palace for the second time in five months, although this time without any of the drama at the other end. It moves the Blues up to 12th in the Premier League and provides them with a decent chance of going into the break for the World Cup, sitting in the top half, depending on how results go. This week, I have Adam McCulloch, Al Bretland, and Andy Howard with me to wax lyrical about Saturday, 
Uh, Andy, you were there. You managed to acquire some tickets to make your first visit to Goodison of the season. You picked a good one, my son. Wow. Um, I think it was a perfect day at Goodison. Um, and I say that knowing that it's only one game and knowing that it's only one afternoon in our season, but considering how bad things have got in the last 18 months or so, um, I think we should savour it. And it just felt perfect from almost the first whistle, really. Um, barring 10 minutes in the, at the start of the second half where I thought Palace looked dangerous, I thought Everton played in such a, a, a brilliant way that was great to watch. I'm sure we'll go through individual goals and individual performances, but as a team, almost from the first or second minute, it just looked like we were going to be the better team in that game. Um, for every one Crystal Palace shirt, there were two Everton. For every two Crystal Palace shirts, suddenly there were three Everton players. Um, and we got on top of them. We scored early. We had a number nine that looked like a number nine. We had a midfield that looked like a midfield. We had centre-backs that actually defend and we all fight together. We all celebrate together. Um, it just, to me, sunny day on Merseyside. 3-0 um, win. I don't think it gets an awful lot better than that. Uh, it was just, uh, it was just, it felt like one of those days where it was a privilege to be at Goodison. Um, I came away glowing, beaming. The walk back across Stanley Park to the car was like one of those dreamy ones where, you know, you just think, what, what a great football club we support. Um, and that's having me gone in quite hard on them last week after the Newcastle game. So um, I appreciate it's only one, but. Oh, I would. My word is perfect. Excellent. It was quite the difference, wasn't it? And Al, I know you were there because your beaming face popped up on the TV screen as the cameras <laughs> focused in on the crowd celebrating the second goal. Uh, it was the first time we scored three, obviously, without reply since beating Leeds back in February. And I'd say Saturday was probably our most complete performance since then, wouldn't you? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And I, and I think what what Andy alluded to about how bad the Newcastle game was. I think the most impressive thing is that it was such a good performance on the back of that. Um, Everton haven't really bounced back from adversity in the last 18 months, but but you get the sense that um, this team understands that their roles and understands that, you know, you do have another opportunity to, to get the win in the next game. And it, it, I feel like when Andy said that, you know, it was great from minute one, I feel like this team are relishing the opportunity to, to face Crystal Palace at home on the back of that hard run. And I think they, they took it with both hands. Um, I think, as we've mentioned, I think Dom, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being back in the side, it just really fitted nicely. That That's a proper team, proper formation with players who are in the rightful position. You know, there were no no stop gaps, no, you know, bandages over, over wounds or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it was just right. It just fitted right. And I think that is really good. And it, it, it bodes well that, that shows what we're capable of when things go right. And, you know, even when things go wrong, we do have that ability to bounce back. And and as Andy said, you know, fight for each other. We play for each other. And I just think there's a, there's a good togetherness that, you know, in football you will lose games. And teams will lose at home to United. They'll lose away at Tottenham and Newcastle as well. And I think what Crystal Palace did was really just give us a sense of perspective, I think, on where the teams are and how far we've come. Because admittedly, you know, 12th, it's it's not great for for many clubs, but for where we were at, which was, you know, pretty much 
rock bottom compared to where we've been in, in recent times. You know, it was the worst season in a long, long time. That progress, I think, since May has just been gigantic. Um, and I, I think that, you know, being outside the top 10, it's it's not a usual position for us in the last sort of, since the Moyes era. You know, we, we've sort of always just about gotten the top 10, really. But I think it does show that, you know, how far we drop, but how Frank Lampard has basically laid the foundations to go again. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the goals one by one, actually, because I think each provides us with a, a chance to discuss certain individual performances and to talk about how the display as a whole addressed a number of the problems that we ourselves on the pod and Evertonians collectively have been highlighting as issues for Frank Lampard to solve in recent weeks. Um, Adam, it's almost redundant to say that having Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit and firing um, is a massive boost to the team. Um, and after that slow process of easing him back and all that patient rehabilitation on his part, he looks sharp and strong again, doesn't he? Well, yeah, that first goal really typifies everything we've been missing from him. Um, I think if Erling Haaland scores that goal, it's still getting talked about next week and it's brilliant. He completely bullies yeah. his man off the ball to, to win it back first. Um, I think um, the quick turnover, um, the forward pass from Anana, I think we'll talk more about Anana. Um, because that's probably his most complete performance in an Everton jersey, um, typified by uh, one of those nice little highlight reels they do after a win where we got sort of three minutes of just an honour for weirdos <laughs> like us, uh, which I enjoyed watching today. Um, almost as much as you probably enjoyed my walk to the car, Andy. Uh, you should go the game more, by the way, because uh, <laughs> <that was, laughs> I was nearly tearing up. But um, yeah, um, yeah, that forward pass from an arm was great because there were those moments where um, he kind of picked the right moment to to be progressive and play forward. That was one of them. Um, after that, it was more great, incisive play from Iwobi, who, again, I'm sure we'll talk about fantastic performance. Um, but then everything from there on in is just just brilliant centre-forward play, the, the upper body strength, the, the touch. It's such a great first touch. Um, and he, he just... Pure, just pure strength just completely throws his man off the ball, and then a great finish, a really, really confident finish. Which, yeah, it, it's really good to see him shaking off that rustiness, um, which is to be expected. I was chatting to uh, to a friend of mine, a Sheffield Wednesday fan, uh, the other day, um, and I was saying how it, it's it's not just that we've lost him this season; it's obviously for so much of last season he was still playing barely fit. I think having this this run of games where we're gradually easing him in 30 minutes here, 45 minutes there, um, and now much sort of, um, you know, from the start looking really good. I think uh, it'll it'll do him a world of good, world of good that goal. And um, I'm really, really pleased for him. And it, it, it was just a brilliant goal. But as, as I'm sure we're going to go on to, they're all good in their own way. But that first one, pressing, desire, incisiveness and a composed finish. That's everything that we were lacking against Newcastle. I think his performance as a whole, mm. like it shows how much we've missed him because you, you can, you can do anything when he's on the pitch. You could, you can go a bit more direct. You can go into his feet. You can go in behind. He's, he's, he's a striker that apart, I mean, apart from his leap, I would say his leap is, is, is his exceptional talent. I don't think he's got another exceptional talent, but he's good at everything. You know, he, he is 
just a very competent player. Uh, uh, everything you want a number nine to be or a, a, any kind of game plan you've got in your head, really. And that's what struck me watching him live for those, however many, I don't know how long he was on the pitch, 75 minutes maybe, um, that he, there was so many facets of his game that that we've kind of missed. But also under Ancelotti, he played a very particular type of way, didn't he? He was very much a penalty box striker, where I think yeah. in this team... He can do a bit of everything again, I, I hope anyway, because he's good at it. Um, um, and there was a, there were a few times where, you know, his, 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 like you were just saying, Adam, his, his touch was sound. You know, his, his, his aerial ability is still very much there. It was one brilliant one in the second half when he went up and looked like he was going to try and win a header and actually just chested it down, you know, like, and, and it just keeps the ball for us in, a, in, their, in their half of the pitch. And, you know, you know, <laughs> God willing, Mope is not going to do that. Um, uh, and I just think, you know, he 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 proved that, you know, that there should never really be a doubter of him now. I think if he can get fit, he is exactly what we need um, to to play any way you like. You know, you you could play a bit more direct against maybe a better team. You could pay into his feet against one of the lesser sides at home. You know, um, and again, I know it's only one game, and you know. I, I, I want to put a caveat on my whole my whole chat tonight is that it's one game, but it was a really good example of what he can do and what we can do with him in the team. Yeah, well, I think I think the exciting thing for me is is that the the sort of creativity we've got on the team as well. As Andy said, Calvert Lewin, you can play any way, and then you've got you've got Awobi just behind him, and I think you know Calvert Lewin can play with his back to goal. He can play backwards to Awobi. He can play it out wide. So I think he just. I think he's just going to make everyone better around him. I think he, he's going to really bring that mi- midfield into the game. I think it's going to give impetus to Inanna particularly to get forward. I think it's going to give impetus to to Mikalenko, Patterson, Coleman to get forward and cross get crosses in the box again. And I think you know it, 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 he is an integral player, and it, it has limited us being without him. I think it's probably been. I think Evertonians appreciate what a big miss it's been, but I think for. For maybe other fans who don't watch Everton as much, maybe it's gone under the radar a bit because he did only have only have that one season where he really established himself as a as a goal scorer, and I feel like he's almost got to prove himself again. I think, which is a shame. It's just sometimes perceptions are, are, are different, but I feel like he will do that within a month. I think he will prove himself again within a month or two. You know, I think he is the the real deal in terms of a. A classic striker who's got it all. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just really exciting with how the team is set up. He is that focal point, and and we do need him. But but as Andy alluded to, you know that there's that flexibility as well. You know, it's not just going to be limited to to one system or one formation. And then, you know, what what's nice as well is Neil Morpé is a different striker to him. But I think Calvert Lewin's very he is very good with his feet as well. He, he's very nippy and he can play in, you know, to the byline, he can pull it back. And I think Morpe can, you know, more or less be a nuisance to, to the, to, to the defense if, if, if they play together. And I think that's only going to improve Calvert-Lewin's chances in front of goal. So really, I think, you know, the way Lampard sets up, I think Calvert-Lewin is a big part of that. And I think Lampard will be relieved almost that, that he is sort of, back and hopefully he can you know be back in the groove for a long time to come now I think you can you can also see that the other players around him are gradually learning 
about what it's like to play with him because there was there was a, an, an early chance for Gordon to cross the ball. He was almost in the box actually. It was kind of on the corner of the box. We 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 got it down the right hand side, and you just I, I shouted cross. You've got to cross the and he didn't. And <laughs> yeah, he went back. He went back, and then we went around and lost the ball. Where I think if he'd actually you know was was in the rhythm of playing with with Calvert Lewin, you know every now and again just chuck one in. I mean you know what what's the worst that can happen? He, he's more likely to make a nuisance of himself than anybody else that we've had up there for the last year. So I think there will be a learning curve there as well in terms of we don't always have to try where well, we scored three brilliant goals. We don't always have to try and score the perfect goal. You can just chuck one in the box and I'm sure that'll come as well. He always looks good as well with someone a little bit closer to them, whether whether that is, uh, as you say, El Morpé um, in the future being that sort of nuisance player. Um, but obviously on Saturday having Iwobi, that little bit more progressive, give him that bit more of a license to go forward, which of course, you know, after those three tough games, um, and I think the Newcastle game, despite how disappointing we were, has got a kind of different sheen to it based on their result the following day um, away at Spurs. They're in really good form. So even though we were disappointed away at, away at Newcastle, I think there is a bit more of a, an understanding now that yes, we were playing a, a good side even though he didn't necessarily turn up. But I think it will be given a bit more of a license to get in and around Calvert-Lewin um, makes makes us th- far more threatening. And I think um, I, th- I think just, just generally we look so much more confident. Um, and, and whether, as you say, that is having Calvert-Lewin there as that focal point um, to do that so early on in a game, uh, to show that kind of purpose. And you could see... Other players, the likes of Gordon and Gray, whereas they were maybe overplaying it um, against sides like Newcastle, going um, going for those sort of like you know long long distance chances that you know have been lacking. You know, getting shots on target. Gray did it very early on. Uh, Gordon did it um, a little after the uh, the opening goal, and it did just seem to breed that confidence. And as we saw with the other goals, when we are confident as an attacking force, we look really really dangerous. Yeah, I think you could see that Lampard had clearly said, just have a few pots, pot shots at goal, you know, just just get a, get a, get your get your sights uh, set early on. Um, but yeah, moving on to the second goal, Al, uh, it's fair to say Evertonians have had a, an uneasy relationship with the concept of playing it out from the back, uh, going all the way back to Roberto Martinez's days. Uh, and when it works like it did for that second goal, it gives you an enormous amount of not only optimism. For what the future might hold with this team and under Lampard, but also pride that our team can actually put together a move like that now, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, among among my friends who don't support Everton, I think I'm seen as a bit of a Tony Pulis or Sam Allardyce because I am one of those football <laughs> fans who the passing it around the back bores me to tears. But yeah. especially that that second Everton goal, you can see why they do it. It's it's very clever that it does it does draw the opposition in when you do it right. When you do it wrong, I think you look very silly. But when you get it right, yeah. boy, does it work. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm an Evertonian who was brought brought up with David Unsworth just hoofing it to Duncan Ferguson's head. But, <laughs> but that, so I think, you know, I think I think we are a new, unique fan base and we know what we like. And I think we need to see that sort of goal work for us to get on board, I think. But I think now, ne- the next home game when Pickford and Tarkovsky and Cody are passing it around the back, 
I do think, I mean, there will still be lots of groans, let's be honest, but <laughs> we, we yeah. can see the method to the madness now. And it, it was just a, it was a really clever goal. And you can see that the, the players have been drilled on that. Everybody in that in that build-up knew what to do. And I think what was really telling is just Mikalenko's positioning at the end. You know, he was, he knew where to be. He knew where that space had been exposed. And it was just a beautifully worked goal. Um, and it was just good to see every player get on the ball, being, you know, proactive, being progressive, getting forward. And I noticed uh, Monday Night Football highlighted the fact that when Awobi receives the ball from Coleman, there is an audible turn from the crowd, yeah. which is just, <laughs> yeah, which is just brilliant. Okay. That you know, even then, even though they've been drilled to like <laughs> that, you know, the t- mm. finest margin, but we're still, you know, telling them to be aware as as we have for so many years, but. I just think that there was, you know, real mouse from every player. They knew where to be, and it, it was it was just a good build up. And I think, I think that goal, we, you know, if if Lampard does have success at Everton, I think you could probably pinpoint that goal as the evolution of his team. I think the start of the season we've been very compact, we've been very solid, been very basic to be honest. You know, we 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 ground out results at the start of the season. And then I feel that, you know, we, we've hit that bump in the road with the, the last three games where we've lost. But I feel like that was a real real testament to Lampard and the players, I think, that they trust each other. The players have bought in to, to what he's doing, but also he trusts them to play like that again. Because, you know, for six months, it's been back to the wall, really. Very, you know, very solid, quite dull even. Um, and so, for, you know, it's great that the manager and the players are on the same page and that, he can drill them all week. He can identify how to get the better of Palace by by working the ball that way. And and then to score the goal and to see it come to fruition is just really positive. Um so I do I think, you know, while Evertonians they like what they like. <laughs> I think if 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 you know, as as proven with Martinez's first season, if if the style of football produces goals like it did, then we'll be right behind it. So really positive. I think it's one of the few things over the last couple of games that we have done okay is is trying to play out from the back. Um, I guess we've maybe done it not, not necessarily under the better circumstances at Newcastle at times. We were being far too patient and I'm, I'm, I'm with you to an extent, Elway. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a craving and a hankering sometimes for us to be more direct, but then I think there's also an appreciation of when we, when we do get the ball on the deck and play it well. Um, but obviously, if it, if it works, it works great. Um, but it, it's 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 something we we've we've done okay over the last few games. It's just particularly with Newcastle, we started to go direct without Calvert Lewin on the pitch, um, which is where the sort of frustration sat in. It always felt like killing time. Whereas when it works like that and it goes from back to front very quickly, but on the deck as well, absolutely great. And um, and yeah, I think you're right to point out Mikalenko as well because despite him him being Probably our weakest player against Newcastle. I, th- I thought he, he looked a lot more of a threat and um, and got himself in a great position. And again, another crucial ball from Anana as well, who again was more disciplined than usual. But he, he picked his moments to to play forward and to get in dangerous areas. And um, yeah, oh, and, and another quick mention as well for uh, for VAR as well, which uh, somehow managed to make one of the, <laughs> the more obvious onside calls. That little bit more tense, uh, but it, it was nice to see the confidence from Lampard watching it back, uh, where he where he already knew it was a goal. Uh, so uh, yeah, po- positive. But um, 
but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we, we we can do more of that, and um, yeah, do 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 more of a passing when we need to, and then at times, as you alluded to earlier, Andy, having Calvert Lewin as that out ball when we need it, even better. I think can can I kind of try and summarize it that we you're going back to like we know what we like. I would summarize it that we like a team to play with purpose. Mm. Um, and whatever that purpose is, that's fine. Um, where, you know, the, the second goal is us playing from the very, very back with a purpose. I think where it kind of really started to peter out, especially under Martinez, is where we were not playing with a purpose. It was it was very much passing along the back for the sake of it. Um, and I think hopefully this team can do whatever whatever we decide to do with that purpose. And I think from listening to Lampard afterwards, he gets that because he said something like, this is what an Everton team should feel like or something along those lines. And I think we're all fine with it as long as it's on the front foot with a purpose. Um, and I don't know whether also a little bit of the kind of um, the playing around the back, I, I was... I was thinking the same when Pickford had it back on in at the start of that move and played it to Coleman. There was a notable gasp in the in the main stand of what are we yeah. doing here? Um but I, I wonder whether that's that could be related to a little bit of PTSD from last season, in that we kind of want the ball as far away from our goal as we can, and then we all feel quite a bit more comfy. I don't know whether that is potentially playing into it a little bit as well. But you know, we we've got a whole season run at this now. And if you know, if we can we can start making it work. I'm sure everybody will be delighted with with whatever goal we score, but with 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 a purpose. I think one other thing about that, going back to um, Mikalenko, his performance in particular was sort of indicative of Lampard finally sort of finding the right balance, the right formation for this team. Uh, it's it's seen very much that in contrast to the last two games, that um, Mikalenko was given the brief to go forward. And Coleman was the one who held back, and that gave us just that extra, um, that extra body going forward that I think we have lacked, particularly in the last two matches. And it was something that we were talking about last week: was how do you involve the fullbacks um, in a way that they haven't been uh, in, in over these last three defeats? And I think we very much saw Lampard's answer to that. It's a shame that he didn't wasn't able to sort of strike that ball straight across the goalkeeper and score because that would have been a it would have been a fine end to the move as it was but it was nice to see um Anthony Gordon get on the score sheet score sheet um I thought it was his his most complete game of the season which is nice because obviously he didn't have his best game at Newcastle um and so just as a just as a whole I think the formation worked really well um because of that one final issue that, again, we've discussed, is that that sort of lack of cohesion in the middle and that lack of defensive balance. Whereas I think this time Onana was played in a, in a deeper role. Iwobi was the one who's pushed forward and there was that kind of double pivot with Gay and Onana that I don't think it could have worked better in this instance. And so if that's the blueprint going forward, I think we're going to be a much, uh, a much tighter unit in midfield going forward, and that's going to help us both defensively um, and in attack. Uh, going on to the third goal, uh, I'll come back to you, Andy, on this one. We spent a lot of time 
on our last podcast lamenting uh, Everton's failure to cause Newcastle any problems whatsoever uh, when we had the ball. And so as you watched McNeil dance inside off the touchline uh, and then just get his head down yeah, and drive at the defense, you couldn't, I just couldn't help but think that if we just had a smidgen of that kind of confidence or ambition about ourselves on the few occasions at uh, St. James's Park, uh, particularly when we had that spell of dominance in the second half, uh, we may have well got something out of that match. Um, but still, it was uh, it was a brilliantly worked goal and uh, the kind of thing that, again, hopefully they can draw on next time, uh, the next time they're struggling to make inroads against the team. I realised after that goal went in, I, I, I turned around and looked at my partner and said, what a goal. But then I realised that I said that after every goal. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, it was another cracker. And I think it proves that we, we seem to be slightly het up about whether McNeil's got pace or not. But he is a good dribbler of the ball. He, he carries the yeah. ball well. He seems to glide mm-hmm. uh, rather than kind of like a, a Gordon just gets it in front of him and goes, doesn't he? But McNeil seems like a different mover with the ball. Um, and especially if a team is back in their own third anyway, um, sometimes the pace is kind of null and void. Um, and if he can carry the ball like that, um, and I mean, what do we say about Awobi there? Um, I think even at Premier League level, I would say nine out of 10 players try and strike it with their left foot and try and get something on goal that might go across the goal or whatever. But to have the the awareness and the, the execution to pull that off... Um, at the time, it was my favourite goal of the day. Uh, I still can't really decide which one is. Uh, and believe me, I've thought about it. Um, but I, I, at the time, it was my favourite just because of the flamboyance and the kind of the flair and the just the unpredictability of what happened. And it was kind of the cherry on the icing on the top, really. Um, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm we're so pleased for McNeil um, because he's going to be really important to us because I think... It's horses for courses, isn't it? Gray and Gordon aren't always going to be the best pair um, for, for a particular type of challenge or a particular type of opposition. And especially if Carvert-Lewin's going to be in the team a lot going forward, I think McNeil's delivery could be really useful to us. So I'm really pleased for him. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased for Awobi that it came off and he, and he does get an assist for that. I, I hate assists I always have done I think it's a completely random statistic that shouldn't be kind of potted <laughs> up the way it is um because you get one for that and then you get one for a five-yard pass on the halfway line but um I'm glad he got one for that um uh, and it just sealed off the day really it just it just completely and utterly um made the day perfect I think um brilliant absolutely brilliant um and yeah if if he if he McNeil especially can take that going forward then um, I think we're going to be all right, you know. Yeah, well, I think Idrissa Garnagay, looking on, would have thought that it was Messi and Neymar again for a split second. <laughs> <laughs> when he saw that left foot, you know, dribbling in and out of the defence and then the little back heel. Uh, I think he thought he was back, back at PSG. But I think Dwight McNeil's almost becoming a bit of an enigma because, you know, there there are a few shouts that maybe he's lacked confidence in the past at Burnley. A few Evertonians maybe had doubts about signing him, but you look at it, he scored at Southampton, he scored that goal, he's had the confidence to to get on the ball and, and run at players. So at the moment, you know, I, I feel like the, the sort of, the general opinion around him hasn't really fit what he's done on paper. You know, there, are, there have been games where he started on the bench, but I think really, I think he's... I think, you know, I don't think Everton have had many players like him 
really. And uh, in in the Premier League era, I think you know he's he's really got that quality. And as Andy said, you know he he's a different kind of runner to Gordon. And I think it's spot on that he does. He he drifts with the ball, and I think with that left foot, you know, I think he can. I think he's definitely better on the left, but I think he can he can do a job on the right. But it's the fact that he's got the quality going forward, but it's his work rate as well. And I think what we lost with Richarlison, I think Dwight McNeil's obviously a very different player, but I still think he's got the similar attributes that he, he's got the quality going forward and he will pop up with goals and I think he will get assists. But it, it's probably the going backwards as well. I think he he is a hard worker and I think, you know, he's... He is one of those players that sometimes you might miss him for half an hour. You know, he might go out the game. But I think he's got that quality that if he can get on the ball and run at players, it only takes that split second. So I think he's probably one of our our most dangerous players. And it was just it was just great to see that, you know, the the sort of start of the, to the season he's had, it's been a bit stop start. But for him to get on that ball and have that confidence, you know, and, and that that's obviously rubbed off throughout the entire team that he's come on and just been able to to continue that so again it's it's you know it's good that we've got we've got players who can actually make a difference from the bench now as well so so it does it bodes really well and that was just just a brilliant goal yeah I'd, I'd echo all that I think I think confidence is a key word I think coming off the bench with the shackles off a little bit for McNeil um knowing the position we were in um and then, yeah, the way he moves, he's, he's a bit of a throwback winger, isn't he? He's quite sort of like an old inside half. He, he sort of moves in a, a really interesting way. Um, but the way he sweeps a ball as well, the, um, the finish, obviously, the impudent little uh, flick from Iwobi is uh, just, just wonderful. But um, he, he takes it with real confidence as well. And um, I think his best season for Burnley was three goals. Um, he's already got two and he's... He's by no means been a, a guaranteed starter as he as he was, I assume anyway, during that time at Burnley um, in his better season. So I think, yeah, if, if he can keep adding the goals, we, we've seen plenty, as you say, Al, of the, the work rate side of him, he's tracking back. Um, he's certainly not like desire and, uh, and always putting a shift when he's played. But seeing more of that quality in the final third from him um, and, yeah, to do it in that manner, I think will really give him a massive boost. Certainly, allow his teammates to have that extra trust in him. But someone's going to come off the bench, and if we're chasing a game, maybe make a difference. Um, so I, I was really pleased for him. But it is hard to pick a favourite goal. They are all all great in their in their own way, but that one does have the making of something special. I think just just for that exuberance, that playfulness, that that feeling that yeah, we we can we can do that to teams, uh, particularly when we're on top and, 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 and doing some damage. And I think going into the Fulham game, knowing knowing that you've just just scored a goal like that, it, it, it suddenly just makes everyone feel that, walk that bit taller, I think, um, certainly as a fan base. Yeah, you almost took the words out of my mouth, actually. That was going to be the way that I, I kind of led into the Fulham game is that, you know, if we can score the, the variety of goals that we did and, and with the swagger that we did, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to stand us in good stead for this one because I, I have a feeling this one's going to be, this could be our high scoring affair based on uh, Fulham's <laughs> previous results so far this season. Uh, I, I wasn't particularly looking for, forward to the Crystal Palace uh, match because of the players that they have and their propensity to, you know, to, to score goals 
Uh, and I th- I'm kind of viewing Fulham the same way, but with that added dimension of, of we now have our tails up and I think we can give them a really good game, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be an easy one, this one, is it? No, but just to, just to go back a step to go forward, to, what that last 10 minutes hopefully will now give the players as well, because they were actually able to enjoy a football match, I presume. 3-0 up, when's the last time in Everton... Mm-hmm. You know, set group of players, group of well fans for a start. Um, but Eddie, everybody, there was a sense of enjoyment in the last five ten minutes, and I hope they can take that forward. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's going to be a really tough game, and not in the way that, say, a Spurs away was tough, but in the in the way that Fulham are a bit unpredictable and quite free scoring, aren't they? And quite fluid and. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure, even though we've defended relatively well as a team this this season, um, I think it's going to be, strangely, one of our biggest tests defensively um, because you never really know what you're going to get. I mean, what if they had three three twos or something like that? Um, Two-two on the opening day. Uh, they, they've been all over the place. But um, I, I think it will be a really big test. Not only, I suppose it goes back to a little bit where we are talking about Dominic Carver-Lewin, they've got the kind of Mitrovic can do anything with him, really. But also, they ha- seem to have players that buzz around him. And I know the Pereira's had a good start to the season. Um, so, yeah, I I, um, I think I actually think a draw would be quite a good result down there. Um, and I could see a scoring draw, actually. But um, it's going to be a very tough game. But it would be great to keep a little bit of that momentum going and, and, and start that game like we started the last game. And it would be, I think, a, quite a good test to see if we can. I'm hoping that's that sort of defensive steel, which, to be honest, we did see against Palace, even even despite the comfortable result. There were still some of those textbook um, Mikolenko and Cody blocks. Uh, there's that great Tarkovsky tackle, which, yeah, is, is one of those. You, you also enjoy it. feels like a goal, doesn't it? Um, I think that's maybe the difference between the two sides if we play in that same fluid attacking way as we did on Saturday. If not, it, it would have probably been builders. We have a solid side and they have a side who will score goals. So kind of who blinks first. I think if we can cause them some problems, they're maybe, well, they are more porous than we are, certainly. I think uh, they've conceded in just about every game this season, apart from a couple. Uh, one was against Villa, the game that got um, Stevie Mee sacked. And uh, I think... Uh, I think there was a goalless draw with Wolves as well. But besides that, they can see goals. And and in some games, they've conceded a fair few, two or more in nine games. Um, So you'd think there's chances to be had there. Um, But as you said, Andy, they have got some really good players going forward. I I think Pereira looks like a really good signing for them. I think making sure we keep him quiet will hopefully bar set pieces and his general kind of nuisance play up front will hopefully keep Mitrovic quiet. Um, but yeah, they, they do set up in a, a pretty similar way to us. So it'll, it'll be a really interesting game. Um, a few returning players as well. Um, Anthony Robinson's at left back for them. Jedi. Uh, didn't really get to see much of him, did we? Um, another one of those young players who we let go for peanuts. Um where where other sides would probably get a lot more for him, but um, yeah, I I hope I hope we can give them some things to think about going forward because 
they certainly have got a goal in them. So, but yeah, score score draw looks like a good shout. Watch it be a, a goalless draw now. We're all, <laughs> we're all completely wrong. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just love to see us have a little bit of a go at them. Yeah, I mean, this is the game that used to be the predictable one because I think for about 12, 13 years, it was always the home side that won. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, it's not even one of those where you can say like it's first goal the winner. It, it, it's just so unpredictable. But I, I, I would, I would definitely say that I think our our defense is is much more solid. So it, it could be about that. To be honest, on on Saturday, obviously they've got attacking threats. But I, I do I, I agree with what you said earlier about it, it's a different sort of game to Newcastle and Tottenham. That there's still the danger, but. It's almost like a coin toss of which Fulham are you going to get, which Everton are you going to get. And I think overall, I think we're probably the more consistent side because I think the Palace game sort of taught us that those three defeats, they happen. But, you know, and we, we were in the games, although the performances were poor, we didn't get a hammering. So you almost feel like Everton could go there and get the three points. And it wouldn't... It's really difficult because if we do go there and win, I don't think it would be a surprise. It wouldn't be like where where the hell have we pulled that out the bag? I think, and I think that's that's another real positive that we are on this sort of upward trajectory sort of that we are making the progress where we can go into these games now even on the back of, of three defeats, and that that win at home has just boosted us to think well yeah we can go there and yeah they do have players that can cause us problems but we we've, we've got the same and I think you know Fulham fans I think will be worried about us to be honest and. And just as uncertain, really. Um, so I think it, it's it's a good game. And I, I like the fact that we've got th- these games going into that World Cup break. It's a really good advantage to 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 make progress and sort of be in that top 10 for <laughs> a long period of time without playing. It, it just It's just for that mentality to think, yeah, we've we've started the season well and it's, it's a platform to build on. But obviously that, it can have the opposite effect. That if we don't get the points in the next three games before the World Cup, it, it can have that negative effect. So I think it's it's a really really big game, and I I, I would go as far as saying you know it's it's almost season defining together with the other two. I, th- I think that these three games are are massive in terms of the opportunity it presents Everton and and where it can leave us going into that into that break and ahead of the January transfer window. You know the connotations of being in that top half, or or maybe languishing and treading water again, or you know, worse. I think I think a lot a lot hinges on this, and I think it's probably more about the result than the performance as well. I, th- I think it's huge. It is a big big game. Yeah, it's a good point that actually about the transfer market and that kind of impression that potential players will get about the team if it's in the top half versus the bottom. That kind of feeling that we're moving forward. Um, I'm kind of reminded about the last time we actually played down there, which was during under Ancelotti when we had the uh, the 3-2 win. I think Fulham was similarly a cavalier and similarly porous at the back, and we managed to pull that one out the bag. Um, And and as as you said, I'm confident going into this one of having Tarkovsky and Cody going up against someone like Mitrovic than... Obviously, if we had gone in with someone like Michael Keane and and uh, you know Mason Holgate and some of our other uh, less uh, dependable central defensive combinations, shall we say? So I think, yeah, I think we should we should go in there with uh, with confidence. 
um, and feel like we can get the job done. And as you say, uh, you know, get three points in that one, and it sets us up really nicely um, for you know the home clash with Leicester and uh, Patino, and and potentially, as you say, moving back into that into that top half. Isn't it nice not to worry about centre halves? <laughs> yes, it should be the baseline, shouldn't it? Yeah, you don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, well, that'll be fine. They'll be fine. You know. Um, I don't mean in terms of like players being iconic, but I feel like already in three to five years' time, we will still be able to name this first eleven, just because it has been so consistent. You can say mm-hmm. you can, you know, obviously Patterson's been out and Coleman's come in. But it does remind me of the very settled Everton sides that that did have relative success. It was built on that consistency and just knowing the formation, knowing the team, and when it comes out on a Saturday, there's no surprises, you know. And I think for the for the five years previous, we've not had that. We have not had that whatsoever. We we haven't had a settled defensive partnership. We haven't had you know the the regular striker, and I just feel like. That is a really good basis that Lampard can name as eleven, and yeah, one or two may change, especially those the, the sort of wingers McNeil, Gordon, and Gray might alternate. Um, but I think that is that is I think massive for us considering, you know, the inconsistency of the last few seasons, and like I say, it's not not in terms of success necessarily, but I do think this is a team we'll look back on and you know remember it quite well, just for for how settled it was and. The, hopefully the springboard for better things settled and also the the uh, the personalities as well um which i think we're seeing more of in in Tarkovsky and Cody um it does it does have those hallmarks of the likes of uh, Jagielka who was, who was who was a sort of big character at the back as well um it's really reassuring and i i guess it's ironic really that we're playing Fulham because that was probably Marco Silva's big undoing, wasn't it? His central defence. We we had that one decent season and he, he had Kurt Zuma there and then obviously couldn't bring him back. Um and then I, I was looking at our uh, our lineup for the uh, the last Marco Silva game and we, we had Holgate, Keane, Mina in that Merseyside derby playing in a as well as part of the five. And they're all at the club now and None of them start anymore, so it you know for various reasons, and and you could probably say at least two of them will probably not be at the club come next summer. So it shows how much that's had a massive effect on the way we play, having that strong base to build up from. Um, and and you're right, it it it, it is a team now that you, you you wouldn't kind of consider the likes of even even if Godfrey was fit, even if Mina was fit you wouldn't really break up that team. That is the team that picks itself in your head. Whereas over the last couple of seasons, sometimes you're scratching your head thinking, oh my God, Schneidlin played how many games that season? <laughs> you know, with with who? <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's a much different situation that we find ourselves in. And, and I think, although there will be bumps in the road, um, when, it, when it gets right, as it did certainly on Saturday, and as it hopefully will again at Craven Cottage... Um, yeah, it's it's certainly a big factor in that. Uh, the mention of Seamus Coleman brings you back to one player who we haven't discussed so far and a potential selection headache in quotes <laughs> for this coming weekend. Uh, I think just a word for Seamus Coleman playing three games in a week and shackling 
Wilfred Zaha one more time in the way that he did was um, was phenomenal. And it is unfortunate, really, I suppose, personally for him, that if Nathan Patterson is deemed fit enough to start, I mean, you would imagine that Lampard would probably put Patterson straight back in. Um, but it would be harsh on Seamus, wouldn't it? Because he was uh, he really did, did put in one of those roll-back-the-years performances on Saturday. I'd forgotten the, uh, the Seamus turn when he kind of gets the ball and in one turn he loses the ball six times, then comes out the other side with it and moves forward. Uh, <laughs> I, I, they're just brilliant. There was about three of those. And you think, I'm not sure how that's happened. I'm not sure what Opta are going to do with that kind of passage of play, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh, he, was, he was brilliant. Um, 13 years ago to the day, wasn't it, that he made a debut? Mm-hmm. That yeah. Day. Um, I actually think the opposite. I think if Patterson's fit, he'll choose Coleman um, just because he defensively, he he would probably be a little bit more. Well, I know Patterson's been brilliant, hasn't he? But so considering how it went against Palace, he might want to keep that back four um, the same as what it was and just give maybe Patterson one more week and might look towards Leicester, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. that that's what I can see him doing. Um, and especially as Seamus has had a week off, um, we haven't got another midweek game. I think if it was a midweek game, it might have been different. But um, yeah, I'd say after that performance, just keep him in for one more. Um, but it was brilliant. And um, oh, we, we we love him, don't we? But um, it was really nice to see that he can still do it if needs be. Um, if there was you know anything happened to Patterson in the second half of the season, we know that Seamus Coleman is still a very functional member of the squad. Um and yeah, it was it was it was great to see it. Uh, I, I, I do think he'll stick with him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it, another again a bit like uh, Tarkovsky is one of those sort of cult tackles, uh, cult <laughs> cult status tackles. Uh, really nice one on Zahar. Um and it, it he, he kept him so quiet. I, I think I'd spoken um, after the uh, after the Newcastle game about the form Zahar was in. And I was quite worried about that matchup, uh, despite Coleman's sort of ability over the years to keep him pretty quiet. But um, yeah, he looked very ordinary, didn't he? Um, he we kept him really shackled. Um, and it was nice as well for Wobi to have such a flourishing game because a lot had been made of that sliding doors moment of if Sahara had joined during that transfer yeah. window, what would yeah. have happened? And um, I think based purely on Saturday alone, I think you know which one you'd pick. So uh, so that was nice as well. But yeah, Seamus played a big part in that. I think whether whether or not he plays, um, as Andy says, over the course of the season, there's going to be games for him. And there's certainly no doubt in his ability um, defensively um, and, and, and to keep people nullified. It's just sometimes, particularly in games we've been chasing, I think we have obviously missed the the pace, the athleticism, and the uh, just the general attacking play that Patterson showed early on. Um, but won't it be nice to have an option and a bit of depth again? Um, so, yeah, whoever plays, I'm happy with. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think we there is that it's that as you said, Adam, it's that athleticism and and the energy that Patterson. I, I almost feel that Patterson's really good in terms of his positioning and the runs he makes, and I think he really does benefits Everton going forward even when he's not on the ball. It just seems that the functionality down that right when Patterson's on the pitch 
it just seems to be a bit. Uh, it just runs a bit smoother, I think. As you said, Andy, sometimes Coleman will will turn and lose the ball six times. <laughs> where <laughs> you know, uh, I think Patterson is probably a bit more polished and a bit more technical. But I think it, I think it's just in terms of the, you know, Seamus Coleman is a you know has been a brilliant wing back. But I think just in the modern game as well, I think Patterson's reading of the game is just really good. I, I find that. More so attacking than defensively, but I feel like he's always in the right position to receive the ball. He always makes the right little, you know, passes forward, and he's he's there. He's always an option as well. I think as well. Um, so yeah, I think we have we've missed Patterson, but I, I, as the lads have said, I think it's so good that we've we've got those options. And I think as Coleman's got older, you know, some of us have been screaming for another right back for you know three or four years. That's as as long as it's been because you, you don't want. You know the icons at the club to to not ruin that legacy themselves, but have their legacy ruined by the the dysfunctionality in the squad and yeah. you know the recruitment. So it, it's really important. I think it's it goes back to when Chelsea were bought twenty years ago when and they just bought two players for every position, and it, it's really basic, but it's it's essential because <laughs> if Coleman gets injured and we don't have Patterson, you, you're suddenly pushing Holgate out there, you're pushing Godfrey out there, and they can do a job, but. To win trophies and be successful, you can't have players just doing a job. You, you need the players that are, are perfect for that position. And so I'm just thrilled that we've got a player of Patterson's calibre and, you know, what, perfect age, perfect potential. And it is, it's an absolutely spot on signing and, and the sort of signing that we, you know, that we should be making. So really positive. Yeah, 100%. Well, as already mentioned, Everton, of course, go up against another of their former managers this weekend. And the way in which Marco Silva had fallen playing last season, scoring goals for fun and winning the championship handily while Everton went into a tailspin under Rafael Benitez raised the question in a few people's minds as to whether Silva should have been given more time at Goodison. Um, the fact that the, the Cottagers currently sit seventh in the Premier League with almost a third of the season gone is probably another indication that uh, he's building something lasting down there. Uh, so instead of one of, our, one of our more irreverent weekly questions, uh, this week's weekly question is that old chestnut. Did Marco Silva get a fair shake at Everton uh, or should Mar- Farhad Mashiri have shown more patience in him? I think this all is, this is all about who hasn't given him time. Because if you remember his last game was the 5-2 defeat at Anfield, like, I remember Dominic Carvert-Lewin coming off the pitch that night and Marco Silva didn't even look at him when he came off. He was a young player at that point, come off in a Merseyside derby in a bad moment. And I just wondered whether... I think there may have been a bit more time from the fans. I think there may have been a bit more time from Mashiri himself because he was his man. I just wonder whether the players, uh, for whatever reason, had come to the end of their kind of journey with it. Just just because of the what seemed like relationships had kind of well, I don't know. I mean if you if you bring a young striker off in a game that's not going very well. I've always just always remembered that. And someone mentioned it to me at, at, at Red actually was watching the game and, and mentioned to me he said, Well your manager didn't even look at that kid when he brought him off. I just thought it was very strange, very weird moment. And I, and maybe there was just the world on his shoulders at that point. But um I wonder whether the players had got to the, to, to the end of it, really. I mean, I was looking back at actually the the time he was in charge. Um, I was surprised, actually, it was as short as it was. It was 18 months, wasn't it? Um, 
pretty much May to the following December. Uh, 60 matches, 24 wins, 24 defeats, 12 draws, uh, a win percentage of 40, which kind of puts him in the in the realms of Kuman, Martinez, uh, Joe Royal, for example, to name but three. Um, I don't know. I, having seen it now, um, I think if he had a bit more time, he may have done quite well. Um, he had to come in on the off the back of Sam Allardyce, which is going to be tough, tough anyway. I would suggest, <laughs> just because of the players that were bought in that regime that wouldn't necessarily fit how Silver would want to do it. You know, so there's lots of factors, aren't there? Um, and I, I mean, he was backed. I mean, he got Richarlison, who he wanted. He got the three from Barcelona. I don't know whether he wanted them, but someone did. Um, <laughs> Mina, Mina Gomez and, and Dean. Um, but apart from that, it was pretty much trying to wrestle his mode of play onto something very different that was there before. Um, and I actually think, I thought today, that it's one of the examples of, I think, Mashiri's uh, reign so far, where he's clearly tried to do the right thing. And we've mentioned this before. It hasn't been all bad. You can see the logic, you know, and, and this was the young, bright thing that might develop into a really good coach and really good man manager. Um, yeah. I can see the logic in it. I, I, I would say, well, when did he go? In December. I mean, anybody's going to struggle after a 5-2 at Anfield, aren't they? But I, I would say that maybe another half season, we would have, we possibly would have come out of the dip. I don't know. I've really not really answered the question there, have I? I, I don't... I don't know if you can answer it because uh, he's such a str- it's such a strange spell. He's probably the most forgettable of the the kind of recent managers. Allardyce is obviously memorable in a certain way. Cooman had fanfare. Um, Allardyce, obviously, the um, Allardyce, uh, Angelotti, uh, the gravitas. Allardyce did have gravitas, I guess. Um, Probably not spelt like that, more like gravy. Um, but <laughs> Silver's very forgettable, and it's kind of forgettable for how it went wrong. And hearing you talk about it, Andy, um, I'm I'm still I, I still really can't quite put my finger on it. But we had a lot of injuries at the time, um, particularly that second season where we lost Garner Gay, uh, obviously brought Bamin in, who then has spent the rest of his career pretty much uh, on the injury table. Obviously, we bought Delphin and that didn't work. Um, Gomez suffered that horror injury as well. So but the kind of middle of our team was ripped out, basically, um, as well as a lack of a, a strong centre-back pairing, which spoke about earlier how important that is. Um, he certainly spent money, but again, as you said, Andy, was that always on the signings that he wanted. I think we were still so lumbered with other signings from other regimes. It's such a lumping and misshapen mess that he had to work with. Um, the likes of Tosin coming off the bench and obviously not doing anything. The likes of Schneidlin in midfield with Sigurdsson and Davis all just not really working together. Um I don't know either. I, I really don't know. And I, I also still don't know how good a manager Marco Silva is because 
he does have these really good spells with teams, but it doesn't always end well. Right? He had a really good spell with Hull, but they got relegated. He had a good spell with Watford and then totally sort of fell asleep at the wheel whilst we approached him. He had a good season with us, despite being backed a lot. The second season then didn't follow up. Um with Fulham, maybe he's, maybe he's found his spiritual home. I, I don't know. He, he's certainly gotten playing good football, but again, a year of that was in the Championship. So he's a bit of an enigmatic figure and he he, he never really won the fans over, did he? Certainly the way he communicated, as, as you said, Andy, that those kind of moments where the players were bristled with him, it, it, he, he didn't endear himself with the fans the way that obviously Ancelotti went on to do and as we've certainly seen with Lampard. So to answer that, Original question. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> L, you have a go. <laughs> so how I would sum it up was, it was he didn't get a fair crack of the whip, but he still had to go. He, he was sort of like, I wouldn't go as far as saying like a victim of circumstance, but it was just a few too many things just weren't in place. And that's why it unravelled, I think. Because I think I would argue in the Mishiri era, his team in that first season... Is the best Everton team, just in terms of, you know, it, it had a bit of everything. It was I remember that away performance at West Ham, uh, Kurtzuma's header. It just felt like, yeah, this, this, not similar to now, but it seemed to fit. It seemed to be a bit of progression. It it, it didn't have the sort of character of the team now, but it just on paper it looked like, yeah, I can, I can see the plan. But I think in terms of like. I agree, Adam, that he's definitely the most forgettable, but I think it's also because we had nice, shiny new Carlo Ancelotti straight after. And he was almost forgotten a day after he left because of Ancelotti. But I actually, in his... So after his first season, I actually went out to Portugal in my former life as a journalist and, and spoke to people that were that were close to him at Estoril, and he was idolised there. And I've actually... I actually got sort of close to the people that were close to him and, and stayed in touch. And I think that summer when we lost Zuma and we didn't get him, I think Marco and his and his, his staff were very keen to sign Nathan Ake. And that didn't happen. And as as we've said, that those defensive partnerships, I think I think a lot of Everton managers in the last few years have, have, have struggled with that, that they had specific players in mind. And when it doesn't happen, They've sort of taken their eye off the ball and sort of tried to think too too much, tried to be too clever maybe. But I've also, you know, people in the media who I know were, were close to him, I think out of all the past Everton managers, you know, he did give good access. And I think some of the, some of the journalists that I know, I think were a bit, I think felt a bit sorry for him in the fact that he was very dour on camera sometimes. But in actual fact, privately, he had a great personality. And he actually explained himself in more detail privately than he did on the camera. And I think that also goes into how he was quite forgettable. I don't think he was... I think he's purely a coach in the sense that I don't think he cares for any of the outside noise. I don't think he cares about other people understanding him. I think he was just... So long as he's on the training pitch with the players. Um, that's the impression I got from Estoril as well. I think he's he, he likes to have a very tight-knit group and I think he I think what I the impression I got as well is that he really cared about the players on a human level as well not just uh you know as a professional level so I think I think as as the guys have said I think 
he could have been a successful Everton manager. And we'll never know, but I think it was the time for him to go. I just think too many things probably out of his control just didn't work out. Um, and I think I think I think that centre back signing was a big miss because you know as as we said those relationships are so important and it can it can unravel so quickly it it, it really can and you need that personnel so yeah that's how I'd sum it up I feel like he wasn't given a fair crack of the whip but it, it you know it was sort of just the wrong time maybe but I, I do think that he had to go and I think. We probably did, although it didn't feel like it, we probably did progress more under Ancelotti just in terms of getting points on the board. Yeah, yeah. It's a, as, a, as a group, you have basically almost ch- sort of checked off all the, the, the list items that I had when I was making notes on this before we started recording. Uh, yeah, for me, it's... it's uh, and there's a number of factors that you mentioned that are kind of lack of charisma, and I think you, you nailed it, Al, when you're talking about how you know, his, how he was with the players was probably completely different to how he came across on camera. And unfortunately, when you are when you have that relationship, and obviously as Frank Lampard is finding out to his benefit now, is when you can, you can have that relationship with the fans, it really does change, you know, that perception of you as a manager and the, you know, the amount of patience I think people are prepared, prepared to give you. Um, the, you know, the, his unfortunate situation with injuries was obviously a, a, a factor the fact that he wasn't able to to get anyone else other than Kurt Zuma um that was obviously a factor um and I think just the fact that he was I mean he was he was young I think he was a, a perhaps ahead of his time and if we were in the position where we were a few months back where we were hiring a Marco Silva I think obviously not quite as in danger of of, of going down but I think if you were if we were in that kind of building phase situation, a Marco Silva type uh, um, appointment would be a lot more palatable given in the context of what's gone before. And I think the context is the most important part when it comes to whether Marco Silva was given enough time. Is it in the, in the context of the time is we were still within Farhad Mashiri's sort of three year Champions League, go, you know, Champions League target window. Um, and there was a certain urgency and a sort of feeling that that was slipping away rather rapidly. Um, and I think just the lack of progress on the pitch meant that he had to pull the trigger. I think that kind of appointment now would be re- would be viewed very differently. And so in that context, it was, yeah, it was just unfortunate timing, I think, as you said, Al. Um, so it's, uh, I, I think what you're seeing now, and again, it's still early days, is you're seeing that he could, he can be a very effective coach. And it's going to be really interesting to see, um, a, how Fulham get on for the rest of the season and, and sort of B, how over the long term, how long he stays there, where he ends up um, and whether he does end up being that uh, that new Mourinho that I think Moshiri was really hoping he would be. But, um, but media relations and fan relations, especially at Premier League level, is a big part of the job. You know, yeah. It, it, yeah. unless you're going to come in and win 22 nil in your first game... Uh, which of course he did, but um, but uh, <laughs> in, uh, unless you're going to come in and um, and, and the, the, suddenly the football does all the talking for you, which is very unusual for for it to happen like that, then you know he was obviously part of a building project, and as part of that project, I think we've seen with Lampard, it's such a big part of the modern day game in the how how you put yourself across. You, you it's not only good for 
for, for the fans and for the media, but it's also good for yourself. I mean, it, it buys you time. Uh, we, we, we will give Frank Lampard a fair crack of the whip, I hope, in, even if it does go a bit south every now and again, um, because of how he is. And I think that's part of the job. So I think just like, not, not that we've said that, but I think if, if people were to say, oh, well, it's just not kind of his persona, then, well, that's a problem, um, mm. I, I think. Um, um, I, I did, um, I mentioned, I was summed up beautifully. I, I mentioned to my missus that we were talking about Marco Silva and all she said was, oh, wasn't he the really grumpy one? And I think that kind of, that just pretty much sums it up. Um, there was nothing to, there was nothing to get you going, was there? Really? Um, yeah. It was, yeah. One more thing in terms of context that I was going to add is that uh, it was coming on the heels of Roberto Martinez, who one of our biggest issues with him was his, his stubbornness and his inability to change when there was clearly an issue that we were all seeing. And I th- I've always said that that was the same thing with Marco Silva, was that there was a, a formation issue that that he just refused to change, refused to adapt, um, and I just I think some of us thought that we were just seeing the same Roberto Martinez thing starting to roll out, starting to sort of you know happen in the same way, and I think that was one more one more knock against him. Yeah. I've actually got a, a half cringy, half amusing Marco Silva story actually. So <laughs> the night of so as I mentioned before, when I went out to Portugal, I did get to know some of the people at Estoril who were close to him. And in turn I got chatting to his assistant in Bremen for the friendly. And we talked about the the article that I'd written and I had such a big head because it turns out they'd read it in the dressing room together. And I thought, wow. But then <laughs> four months later back in Liverpool when Silver had been sacked, Duncan Ferguson obviously gets the gig against Chelsea. We win. I go out that night celebrating, and I see that Marco Silva's assistant has gone out with his family uh, for dinner. So it's about 10 o'clock, so I've had a few beers at this point. And I excitedly go over to him and say, did you see Everton today? Did you see the score? And then I realised that's probably the last thing he wanted to know after just losing his job. And I just completely had to check myself and thought, oh, my God. I felt I was mortified. I thought the one person in Liverpool who didn't want to know about the Everton result was probably him. It's probably when he, why he went out for food, in fact, to just avoid it all. Avoid match of the day. And there's me just reminding him, like throwing it in his face. <laughs> what was our answer? Was he, given to, was he given a crack of the whip or not? I, I would say he was given a crack of the whip. Yeah, is that fair? I, I would lean towards, yeah, he was. Just he wasn't Allardyce and he wasn't Ancelotti, so yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> well, that's probably probably a good note to to end it on. We will be back uh, next week to discuss what happens against Fulham uh, this coming weekend and that reunion uh, with Marco Silva. Hopefully, uh, Everton will come out the better on that one. Whether it's a boring one nil or an exciting three two, either one would be, do us fine, I'm sure. Uh, but until then, Blues, take care and hope you'll check back with us next week and we will speak to you then. Bye.